My name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Hey there, welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. Today is something a little bit different. I have a sermon podcast that I did, um, I preached this on an online Bible study actually uh, just a, a couple of months ago. Uh, my friend had contacted me and asked me to share with his online Bible study and um, this is just the message that I felt like the Lord had put on my heart that evening for this particular group, but I felt like there were some really good things that came out of it. And I was glad that I recorded it. Um, it's about um, picking up your mat, how Jesus told the, the paralyzed man to pick up his mat and walk. And, and what I got into in this message is how there is a curse in this world, and it has to be resisted. And, and there's some proactive action on our part that is a response of faith that goes against the current of the curse that's in this world. And so that's kind of what I got into this message. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it ministers to you today. And I will talk to you at the end of the podcast. So I think if we want to start in, um, in John 5, in the beginning of John 5, verse 1, it says, And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. So this is like a supernatural manifestation that's happening even before Jesus, you know, um, died and rose again. Um, so this is a very interesting thing to study out. And it says, and there was a certain man there who had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time. Um, and it says, when Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had been there that long time, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Now that's very, uh, very King James, you know, cause it is the King James. Um, the better way of saying that in a way that we understand is, will you be made whole? And, um, in the Amplified Bible, um, it, it brings out a little bit more of, are you are you eager to be whole? Are you wanting to be? Are you serious about being whole? Is it basically what he was asking him? And I think it's interesting because there's another place where somebody asked Jesus, "Is it your will, or if it's your will, you can make me clean?" He is a leper. He's talking about his leprosy, and he said, "If it's your will, you can make me clean." And Jesus said, "I am willing, be clean." And I think. What's interesting about this particular, and I'm going to get to the rest of this passage in a little bit, but I want to stop and park here for a little bit, where he says, will you be made whole? Because I think a lot of times our focus tends to be on what God's will is, and is it God's will for for this to happen? Is it God's will for me to experience this? Is it God's will for me to have this? Which is important. Um you know, Ephesians tells us not to be ignorant 
but knowing the will of the Lord. But um, I think it's important also to understand that a lot of things in life have to do with our will as well. Um, you know, we do have a free will. And because of that, um, not everything, and this might be a, a, an interesting concept, but not everything is up to God. Um, now, now, like I don't know you guys at all. Um, I, this is my first time meeting you. I don't know anything about your life. Um, Pablo didn't tell me anything about you. Um, so I'm, I'm going straight out of just my heart <laughs> and I'm believing that it's speaking, you know, uh, to everybody. So I have no preconceived notions of anything. I just was like, Lord, what do you want to say? Um, so I'm just going to preface it with that. But I, I want to just mention this, um, you know, about the will of God and, and understanding the will of God. And also, um, there's a phrase um, that I've heard that you guys have probably heard before. It's used a lot in church. And it's that God is in control. Um, and I know I'm poking a holy cow here, uh, so, so, so bear with me. Um, but th- and that is true in, in one sense, that God is sovereign and He's all-powerful. Um, in another sense, that's not true. Because God, in His sovereignty, has given man a free will. And with that free will, man makes choices, and many of which are not God's will. Um, you know, we know that with sin. Sin is not God's will. Adam and Eve committed sin, and that wasn't God's will. And he gave man the freedom. Um, and with that freedom came consequences. And so with the freedom to make wrong choices came the consequence that happened with Adam and Eve, which was the curse of the ground and the curse of the law that the old, I know we're getting into some deep stuff, but the curse of the law came into the world through sin. And I know this is some basic stuff. I'm sure you guys know this, but I'm just kind of laying a foundation, but that curse came into the world through, through man's sin. And there's a lot of stuff happening in the world that is not God's perfect will. He does permit it, but it doesn't mean it's what he wants. Um, and so in talking about that, you know, not everything that is happening or happens to people that people experience is a result of God's will for their life or that God just designed them. You, this is your lot in life. I've ordained you to be this way or to have this or do this. Many things, and I'm not saying that it's a result of, of somebody's personal sin necessarily, um, a lot of it is the environment that we live in, this side of heaven. It's not perfect. We see that. We know that. Um, you know, people ask the question, you know, well, how do we know hell exists? Well, I mean, there are levels and measures of hell manifested on the earth. I mean, we see, you know, wars. We see people murdering each other and hurting each other and these things that, in a lot of ways, that is a, that is a small taste of hell. Um, and so we see it already. Um, but also, you know, the Bible talks about we can experience days of heaven on earth. So um, I believe that the evidence of heaven and hell is seen in the earth itself, that it manifests at different times in different ways. And that's a whole other thing. I better not get off on that. But just talking about God's will and bringing it back to John 5, this man is in the situation Um, He's been like this for 38 years, and Jesus asks him, what's your will in this? 
Um, and he didn't put the emphasis on the will of God in this situation. And obviously you'd say, well, obviously this man, you know, wants to be healed. He wants to be free from this. Um, but I just want to establish this for just a minute um, about the fact that there is a curse in the world. Um, and I say curse, it's easy to think of like Halloween, voodoo, like, you know, you know, and really the curse is decay. It happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, it set in motion death. And death manifests itself in different measures. Um, death is decay. Death isn't just you dying. Death can be measured in, in lack or in decay or in something spoiling or being rotten. That is a small measure of death. I hope I'm, y'all are tracking with me so far. I know I'm getting some deep stuff here. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense so far. If I'm not, just stop me and say, hey, can you explain that a little bit more? Um, but you know, how many of you guys have ever seen uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Okay, I'm going to make it relevant. I'm a, I'm a, I use movie references a lot because I find that, especially with my generation, they help. Um, you know, I've actually, uh, I've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy far more times than I'm, I'm comfortable telling you. Um, and, and as the Hobbit series as well, I've actually right in the middle of watching the Hobbit series again. And I've found that there are all kinds of fun spiritual parallels in those movies, but it's interesting, like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you have, you know, you have the orcs and you have Saruman, you've got Mordor, and then you've got the elves, you've got Gandalf, you got the hobbits, and they're fighting for good. They're fighting for the light. They're fighting for, you know, they want the world to be healthy. You know, they want the world to be, you know, good people loving each other, all this stuff. And you've got Sauron, and he wants to spread darkness. And he's fighting to spread darkness. And they're holding back this darkness that's trying to spread. The people who, who want the good to happen, who want um, you could say heaven on earth, they're holding back this darkness, this curse, and it's attempting to take over the world. Well, that is a good picture of what the curse is. Um, now, I know we don't have orcs running around and stuff like that, but spiritually speaking, um, if we could see the things that are going on, you know, beyond just what our natural eyes could see, it, I don't know, it may look like that, I don't know. I know that there are angels and demons and things of that nature that the Bible talks about. But the point of that is, is that there is a curse in the world and it's trying to work. Um, and to a certain extent, um, there's nothing stopping it. But, you know, the Bible actually calls the body of Christ the salt of the earth. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Well, salt preserves and um, I'm getting into some stuff there. I'm going to kind of stay on track. But there's a curse in the world. And I want to read a, another scripture to you. And uh, we'll keep going. Um, in John 10.10, 10, uh, you can turn to these if you want, or you can just listen. It's up to you, whatever you prefer. But in John 10.10, 10, it says, uh, y'all be there in a few weeks probably. It says, the thief does not come except to steal to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Um, you know, uh, 
the the term prosperity <laughs> has gotten a bad rap. Um, I think a lot of times people hear prosperity and they think of, you know, Cadillacs and bling bling or wiping your nose with $100 bills. Um, in the Bible, when the term prosperity is used, what it's referring to is health. Anything being full of life, um, it's like a, a garden that is flourishing and growing, that's prosperity. Um, it's just health. It's life. It's, it's things being right and good. It's, you know, as they are in heaven. So don't let that term throw you if I use that term, because um, there have been a lot of taboo stuff that how that's been used. Um, but Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So let's say I'm at home and um, you know my family's in the house and a thief breaks into my house. Well, I don't know about you guys. You live in Texas. I know, you know most a lot of Texans are gun owners. I'm a gun owner. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a 22 next to my, my nightstand. And if somebody breaks into my house, um, I'm not going to just be like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's the will of the police for that thief to be here. I don't know. I, I don't really, who knows? No, I'm going to resist that thief. <laughs> I'm going to give that thief a strong incentive to leave my house. And, you know, Satan is a thief. And the curse that's in this world is a thief. And there are a lot of things that I think people think is the unknown or mysterious will of God that is actually the curse trying to steal something from them. And now, no matter what happens, let me say this. As long as we're on this earth, we're going to have to deal with this curse. Until Jesus comes back and until he makes everything right, um, we're going to have to deal with it. Um, You know, it's Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to do away with it. But until then, you know, we we have to deal with this curse that's in the world. We have to deal with the devil. Um, We have to deal with, you know, sin trying to get into our lives, temptations. And they're not going to just disappear um, until Jesus comes back. So we'll always have to deal with things. But um, if you know something is a thief, and if you can recognize it by its stealing, its killing and destroying, you at least know that I should not be giving into this. I should be resisting this. I should be opposed to this. And I'm laying a foundation here. I'm going to come back to what we were talking about later. I'm laying a foundation. I hope I'm making sense so far. I want to read in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. If you guys would like a minute to turn there, you're welcome to have that. So, so far I'm talking about the will of God, the will, our will, and how that relates to the world and the state of the world and how it can affect us. And how that not everything that we experience is necessarily God's will for our life. And um, if something is the thief, we should resist it. That's where I'm, I'm at so far. So, and I'm endeavoring to give you scripture for this and not just give you opinion. So in Galatians 3 verse 13, it says this, Christ 
has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So in the earlier verses of this, he's talking about Abraham. Uh, He's talking about the curse that entered in through Adam. And he says, Christ has redeemed us from that curse. So if Christ has redeemed us from the curse, why do we still experience it? Well, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Romans, not Ephesians, in Romans chapter 8, in the beginning verses, and actually verse 2, it's where it talks about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Actually, the context, if you look at it, is talking about sin. Uh, Paul's talking about his struggle against the flesh and the desire to sin. And it says this in Romans 8 verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death is the curse. And the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it says, has set me free from that. So what you have basically is you have a law that's in motion, like the law of gravity. But then you have a higher law that when you're in Christ, when you're born again, when you're a new creation, you can live by a higher law than this law, this law of sin and death. And that whole verse goes on to talk about how we don't have to be slaves of sin. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin, but you don't have to be a slave to it. And, you know, a slave is somebody who is controlled and bound. Um, If you're, you know, you hear people say things like, well, I'm just struggling with sin. I'm just struggling with lust. I'm just struggling with anger. Well, um, a lot of times when people say that, what they actually mean is I'm yielding to it. And the truth is, if you're struggling with something, it means you're resisting it. Um, my sister, uh, for a long time, did jujitsu, and I've always been a martial arts fan. And uh, I, you know, in jujitsu, um, there are two people struggling with each other, and the goal is for the other person to tap out the other person. So you have this struggle going on between one person and the other, and the goal is to get them to yield and to tap out. Well. Um, What a lot of people, when they say I'm struggling with sin, what they mean to say is I'm tapping out to sin. (laughs) Because the truth is everybody has to resist sin. We all get tempted uh, with one in sin in one way or the other, whether it's one thing or the other, we all get tempted every day. We have flesh, Um, but we all have to resist it. So in a sense, we're all struggling against it. Um, But like I said, in Romans 8 2, there's something working in us that is helping us to push back against that thing. We're not on our own with it. My point is this, is that there are some things that you have to resist, plain and simple. And there are some things in this world, like sin, that have to be resisted. Um, We see this in uh, the book of Acts. I'm not going to turn there, but I know Pablo mentioned you were reading the book of Acts recently. Do you remember the part um, when Paul was about to be flogged? 
And then he said, is it lawful for you to, to flog a Roman citizen who has not been tried? Because Paul's a, Paul's a Roman citizen. He was born a Roman citizen. And they're about to flog him, and they think he's just a normal Jew. And he said, is it lawful for you to do this? And when they found out, they were like, oh, snap. And that's my paraphrase. <laughs> and, and they're like, okay, we better investigate this. And then the, the, the magistrate says, you know, I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. And Paul makes this statement. He said, yes, but I was born free. See, you and me, we were born into freedom when we got born again. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But you know, there are some moments in your life when you have to look at sin trying to tempt you. You have to look at the curse trying to come into your life. And you have to say, is it lawful for you to be here? Is it lawful for you to be afflicting me the way you are? Is it lawful for, for the thief to be in my house? And the point is, is that a lot of people have this idea that anything that's happening is the mysterious will of God and I'm resigned to it. But I see throughout the Bible that God tells us that there's some resisting that we're supposed to be doing and that we're supposed to put some things in check. It's kind of like, I know there's a lot of controversy about this in the country, so I hesitate to use this example, but it's kind of like how police officers have to keep criminals in check. And, you know, just because there's a law doesn't mean everybody's going to follow it. And if people don't always follow laws, you know the devil don't always follow laws. And so the enemy is always trying to find a crack and a crevice into your life and to gain access. And we have to resist him steadfast in the faith. That's what First uh, Peter 5, 10 tells us, to resist him steadfast in the faith. I want to read a few more scriptures to you, and I'm not going to go super long here. I'm, I'm almost done, and then we can talk about it. Um, I'll, I'll just read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called. So it tells us we have to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of something. I want to mention something to you, and I'm, 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 I'm going after some phrases tonight. There's another phrase you probably heard, and it's not wrong when it's used right. Um, and it's the phrase, let go and let God. Um, that's not a wrong phrase when it's used in the proper context. There is a time that we're supposed to let go of certain things and let God work and say, God, this is too big for me. I can't handle this. I can't do this. This is, you've got to do this. And, you know, First uh, Peter talks about casting all of our care onto the Lord, for He cares for us. And there's some things that are just too big for us. But it's interesting that Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. I think there's a lot of people who are trying to fight God's fight instead of just fighting the fight of faith. And the fight of faith is a fight that we can handle. But God fights the things that are too big for us. But we do have a fight, though, and that is why God gave us armor. In Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the enemy. So there's this constant theme in the New Testament of standing 
and resisting. And so, like I said, there are sometimes you do let go and let God. When it comes to your anxieties, when it comes to your cares, when it comes to the things that are too big for you. But there are some things that God has called us to stand and resist. Part of it is because of our free will. I talked about free will earlier. Part of the reason why we're called to stand is because we have to exercise our free will because God won't force us. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, if, if I, <laughs> let's say I, you know, am tempted uh, to eat too much ice cream. Well, God's not going to just take me over and force me to not eat ice cream because my will is involved. Now, if I choose to resist that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with ice cream. I'm just saying as an example, if I choose to resist that, God will strengthen me and help me to resist it. But my free will is also involved. And I can say, you know what? No, forget it. I want that ice cream. And God is not going to force me to do what I, what my conscience tells me to do. We know this because people make bad choices every day that are not God's will. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. Is this making sense so far? Awesome. Cool. Um, so there are some things, you know, um, Jesus told us to pray. This is how we ought to pray. You know, the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he told us that we are to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if God tells us to pray that, that tells me that his will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven completely. And we, can, we know that. We see that every day. The earth doesn't look like heaven. But there's some action involved in that. We pray and ask the Lord, and we, we sup, make supplication, we make intercession. That's what 1 Timothy 2 talks about. That the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, let me ask you a question. How much curse is in heaven? None. Now, there's still curse on the earth, like we talked about that, and there will be until, until Jesus comes back. And yet, we know that God's will is being done in heaven completely, and there's no curse there. That tells me that the curse is not God's will. And so, there are some things that we have to stand against. Now, it doesn't mean we are responsible <laughs> for getting rid of everything negative in our life or in other people's lives or on the earth. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you don't recognize your enemy, you won't know to resist him. And if you don't recognize the thief, you won't know to resist it. And, and the thing I really want to submit here is that God is a good God. Now, I know that sometimes God, you know, he does things for our good that don't feel good in the moment. And he's like a parent. The Bible says discipline for the moment doesn't feel good, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But God loves us. And he's a good heavenly father. And he is not um, out to hurt us. And he is not interested in us living in the curse. If he, if he was, he wouldn't have sent Christ to redeem us from it. So what I'm saying here, I'm not preaching uh, some kind of hyper prosperity gospel or anything like that. What I'm saying is God's will for us is good. And he wants us 
to be at peace in our minds and our souls. He wants us to experience His life in our bodies and health in our bodies. And He wants us to have success and to experience abundant life on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean things are going to be easy. No, um, we get persecuted. The Bible says those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's one of those things that there's no, there's no escape route from that. That's going to happen in one degree or the other. The church is going to get persecuted on this earth as long as there's a devil. You know, I don't know what it's like to experience intense persecution. I think a lot of us think sometimes that, you know, Starbucks not saying Merry Christmas is persecution or something, you know. And it's, it's not. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are people in other countries who are experiencing real persecution. And I don't know what that's like. I do know this. Um, you know, the Bible says God does not allow us to endure what we can't handle. And, you know, and that's a, that's a very interesting, you know, persecution. What is persecution? Well, it's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy. Um, so, you know, right there, even being persecuted, that's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy. That's coming from the, the thief <laughs> trying to come against you. I'm a, in James 4, 7, you'll have to turn there. I'll read it. But it talks about, um, it says, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, that's very important to read that verse. A lot of people take that verse and they say, you know, oh, just resist the devil. Well, you got to read the whole thing. It says submit to God, then resist the devil. And the reason is, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't be resisting Satan in one area and then be yielding to him in another area and expect him to leave. Um, you know, I, I, I said this on my, on my Facebook the other day, you know, if you give a thief a key to your house, uh, don't be surprised when things turn up missing. And, um, you know, if you, let's say if you are saying, well, I resist the devil in this area, but he's tempting you in this other area and you're giving into that, well, you're giving, you're, you're yielding to him. And so I'm not trying to make this hard thing where it's like, oh, I got to you know, do all this stuff. No, we do everything by his grace, and, and it's a work. I mean, resisting sin, living in righteousness, it's a work of the grace of God on the inside of us. We can't do it in our own strength. You know, I think that's why it's so important to establish that, you know, God is not our problem. You know, he's not the one, you know, he's not the one trying to hurt us. He's, not, he's a good father, um, and he disciplines us, but he's not, you know, he's not the one afflicting us. The curse in the world is the thing that causes problems and the, the thief. Now, this is something I'm, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me about personally. So what I'm sharing to you is an overflow of what God is talking to me about. And even just some things that I've been dealing with, some challenges that I've been dealing with that I've been tempted to be like, you know, God, what's going on? Or like, feel sorry for myself or things like that. And, um, you know, I feel like the Lord has been ministering this to me and, and, and given me some revelation for my own life. But back to John 5, um, and down in, I think, about verse 8, 7 or 8, um, after he says, he asks him, will you be made whole? Uh, it says, Then the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And so he's telling Jesus what he doesn't have and what he can't do. And he's got his eyes on this pool. He says, like, that's the only thing that can do it. If that doesn't happen, it can't happen. 
But what he doesn't know is that God is standing right in front of him, right? And, and God is the healer. He's the great physician. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals us. And Jesus says to him, after asking him, do you want to be made whole? He said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And, you know, if I was to title this, this little message, I would call it pick up your mat. And it's not just talking about one area of life. This is not just talking about one thing. Um, this applies to any area of life. Um, what I had on my heart, and I feel like it's part of, partially what God has been speaking to me, and so this is an overflow of that, um, is, is that when Jesus looked at this man, this man was telling him, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I, I don't have this. I don't have that. And he was giving him all the reasons why he couldn't get up. And Jesus simply looks at him and he said, listen to me. Do you or do you not want this? In other words, get your eyes off all that. Stop focusing on what you can't do. Do you want this or not? And then he said, okay, get up. And what I see by that is not that Jesus was expecting him to do something that he couldn't do because Jesus was the one that empowered him to do it. All Jesus needed was a little step. All Jesus needed was a little action by faith. Not not something huge, not something beyond him, just just. Give me something. <laughs> Give me something. Um, I know a little something about this because, you know, there are different kinds of things that people deal with. Um, I dealt with drug addiction for years. Um, about about eight or nine years ago now, um, I dealt with, with some pretty serious drug addiction. And, you know, I was actually talking to um, somebody the other day. The One of the ministries that I, I do stuff with, they have an outreach on, you know, every other Saturday kind of thing where they minister to homeless people. And I was talking to this one homeless guy and he was sharing with me about his addiction. And he was saying, man, it just feels like I just cried out to God and I asked him to take it away from me, but he, he, you know, nothing happened. And I shared with him a story that I heard that really kind of makes me laugh, but, um, and it made him laugh too, which was good. Um, I heard about a minister who was at the altar one time and a bunch of people were praying at the altar. This is back in the 50s. And there's this one person who was at the altar and they were just yelling, Lord, take it away from me. Lord, take it away from me. And they were doing this all night. And finally, the pastor, well, finally, the pastor walks up to him and he says, listen, what, what is it you want God to take away from you? And the person says, well, that old snuff. I just can't stop dipping tobacco. And the pastor said, well, God doesn't dip snuff. What would he want with it? And the point of that was, is that he said, you know, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to stumble, you got to cut it off and cast it from you. Now, now in that too, you know, it's good to remember with anything like that, you need the grace of God to help you. You can't do it on your own. Uh, you need his help. And see, see, people can get in the ditch on one side or the other and think, well, I'm just going to do it on my own and I don't need anybody's help. And that's pride. But then they get on the other side of nobody will help me. And that's self-pity. So either one of those things won't get, get people anywhere. And so I was talking to this guy and I sh shared that with him. And I said, you know, man, it's kind of this, this just came up to my heart. I believe it was the Holy Spirit that helped me. Um, I said, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever been driving and you got your truck stuck in the mud and, you know, this happened to me, we had a, you know, you guys had a pretty intense winter too. And we had one up here in Missouri and I got stuck in the snow. And man, I am spinning my tires. I'm chewing all this stuff, trying to get out of the snow. 
and I can't get out. And I'll be honest with you, I started to get frustrated. And uh, two or three people walked by me, and I'm like, well, I wish somebody would stop and help me. You know, I'm kind of like sounding like this guy in this passage. I'm like, why won't anybody help me? You know, like somebody, come on, you're just walking by me. You won't help me. And finally, the Holy Spirit stopped me, and he said, Ben, you need to change your attitude or nothing's going to happen. And and so um, I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. I, Lord, I ask you for your help. I, I need help getting out of here. And not two minutes passed, and two guys walk by, and they come by, and they're like, hey, man, we'll help you. And they're like, hey, do this and do that. Turn this way, and we're going to push, and we're going to get you out. See, I needed that push. That's like the grace of God. You need that push from the grace of God. But I still had to do something. And that self-pity victim mentality wasn't helping me at all. And I, I was sharing this with this guy who was an addict, and I was telling him, you know, man, um, you can't do it on your own but you still have a part to play. But that doesn't mean that you have to do it on your own either. And, and Jesus is kind of like a tow truck. <laughs> he, hooks, he hooks up to you and you're in the mud, you're spinning your tires, you're trying to, you know, whatever it is, whether it's financial or whatever the case is, um, you know, maybe you're spinning your tires, but uh, he hooks his tow truck up to you and he helps pull you out. And he's like, hey, turn your wheel this way, turn your wheel that way. Let me help get you out of this. But the point of that is, as long as you stay just in that mindset of nobody's going to help me, I can't do anything, I can't do this, you're spinning your tires in the mud. And then on the same token, if you say, oh, I don't need any help, I don't need any help, I do this myself, well, that's pride. And both of those things will leave people stuck in the mud. What we need to do is say, God, I need your help, and you know, I know you're the only one that can help me, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a step. I'm going to take a step. And I just hear that in my heart just with the Lord just like, Pick up your mat and walk. And it's not, don't take that just naturally of, of just like, you know, that's a, that's, that's spiritually speaking, there, there's a small step in each one of our lives that, that we can, it's not something that crazy, it's not our job to, to make miracles happen, it's not our job to, to force God's hand, you can't do that. But when we have a spirit of faith, it doesn't mean you don't struggle with doubt. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with your emotions. We all deal with that kind of stuff. You know, it reminds me of the passage in, in Matthew 9, I think it was, or um, where the man had the son who was uh, demoniac. And, and Jesus asked him, and he said, he said, do you believe that I'm able to heal him? And the man said, I do, but Lord, help my unbelief. <laughs> In other words, I'm trying to believe. I'm, I'm, I, I want to believe. And I'm struggling. And you know, that was honesty. That was humility. And you know, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so if we're struggling with our faith in an area, that's not a bad thing. Um, if we just give God enough faith, like a grain of mustard seed to say, Lord, I'm struggling and this is talking about anything. It could be finances. It could be physical. It could be emotional. Um, whatever the case is, I don't know. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit interpret that individually. And it's for me as well. I'm preaching to myself. But just giving God a little something to work with, just giving Him that little step of faith, um, you know, it's not that He couldn't do it without that, but just like this man at the pool of Bethesda, he needed a step from Him. He wanted, he wanted to see that little step of faith. Just give me something. And I'm going to take you the rest of the way. And, you know, a lot of people get into pride about stuff and think, well, I, you know, I did this or I did that. And the truth is, you know, if you broke it down, there's so many things that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would have sunk a long time ago. 
you know, and he's been holding us up more than we know. And one of the things that God's really been talking to me about is humility. And humility, you know, it's not afraid to ask for help. It's not afraid to say, hey, I, I do need help. But you also got to guard that other side of it of where it's just like, I'm relying on this one thing or are this these people or this thing. And if this doesn't happen or this doesn't happen or, or having a victim mentality, um, you know, in Christ, we're called to be more than conquerors, the Bible says. And if Satan can get you to keep playing the victim, he'll keep victimizing you. But when we get up in Satan's face and, and we get a little bit of gravel in our craw and say, you know what, devil, I'm done with you holding me down in this. I'm done with you always pulling me into this sin, or I'm done with you always hurting me in this area or hindering me in this area. I'm done with you. And, and it doesn't mean everything is going to change immediately, naturally, but you understand who your enemy is and who the thief is, you get in resist mode. And you can say, listen, devil, I don't want your work in my life. And, and like, you know, we talked about, there's going to be persecution. But, and I know the Bible, I'm not talking about with people. I'm not talking about getting in people's faces. I'm not talking about, you know, there's a time to defend yourself, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about with the devil. And you have to recognize who he is and what his work is. And then, by faith, stand against it. Uh, let me make this relevant for you. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You know, for me, um, I, I, growing up, I'm, I'll be very transparent with you. Um, you know, I dealt with a lot of, of issues in my mind and in my soul. I was exposed to pornography at a very young age, about eight or nine years old. And so I got exposed to things that, that you know, really messed with me at a young age. And so growing up... You know, I dealt with that. But then when I came back to the Lord, I got, I gave my life back to the Lord. I rededicated my life to the Lord when I was about 18 years old. I made a commitment to the Lord and I, I put that away from me. And I mean that. When I cut it off, I cut it off. I put it away from me. But that doesn't mean that was the last time I ever had to deal with that. Sometimes those images would come back to me. Sometimes those things would try to come back to my mind. Sometimes just a memory or something. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't, it wasn't something I was trying to do. Satan would bring it back to me. And you know, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And he'll try to take your past or something and bring it back up to you and say, oh, look how, look at you. Look what you're doing, you know. And he'll try to do that with you. He accuses you. And one of the things I had to learn how to do is to say, I take authority over my mind. The Bible says I have the mind of Christ. And I, the Bible tells us to cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is resistance. This is a fight. This is, I'm not taking this lying down. And I had to learn to take authority over my thought life and say, no, Satan, you are not bringing this back to me. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. I'm not going to have that. And I had to put my foot down. And the more I did that, and the more I've continued to do that, the less and less he's been able to bring that stuff back to me. And it's had no hold in my life. But, you know, you don't fight somebody that you're enslaved to. I, I like to say it like this. Um, prison guards only shoot at prisoners if they're escaped. You know, if they've escaped the prison. They don't shoot at prisoners who are in their cells and their handcuffs. No, if a prisoner escapes, you get shot at. And you know, the, the devil will throw arrows at you because you're free. And you know, um, the Independence Day is coming up soon, 4th of July. And you know, uh, some of the stuff with the Declaration of Independence, the Revolutionary War. 
And you know, the when people they left England, I'm doing a little bit of history here. They left England, they came over here. I know there's a lot of stuff to be said about history and all that happened with that, but let's just for for the sake of this, let's just talk about this part of it. Um, they came over here and then England followed them and they're like, no, you're not, you're not leaving us and we're going to make sure that you don't, you're going to submit to us. And they resisted. They fought. They said, no, we want, we want to be free from you. And they fought England. Well, they didn't get free when they won the revolutionary war. They got free the moment they chose to resist the oppression. And, you know, when it comes to the enemy, you don't, your freedom is not in the lack of things trying to come against you. Your freedom is not in the lack of, of you know, any kind of battle, any kind of struggle. No, you're not bound unless you choose to stop resisting. As long as you stand against the enemy, I don't care what he's trying to hit you with. I don't care what he's trying to pound you with. As long as you stand against him and say, no, I'm not doing that. Then, then he has not won. And I'm going to read you one more scripture, and then we can talk or whatever y'all want to do, but I think this is relevant. In First Peter, I mentioned it earlier, um, and, and I think it's a good wrapping up of everything we're talking about here. And because it, it encapsulates everything um, from both sides, both the fight and also um, the part that we can't do, relying on the grace of God, that we need him, his help, that we can't do it on our own. 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, I'm sorry, uh, verse 5. He says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. So we see a couple things here, humility and submission. Uh, The same thing James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil. So there's humility and submission in connection with this. It says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for somebody who he can get a foothold with. He's looking for somebody who he can get access. He's a thief. It says, though, in verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, the devil always wants you to think that you're the only one dealing with something. I'm the only one who's, who's dealing with this kind of thing. No, uh, the Bible says there's no temptation but what is common to man. Uh, back in, in 1 Corinthians. But it says this in verse 10, But the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. So that word suffered, I'm going to do a little bit of Greek on you. That word suffered, you look it up, it actually means resist. It means to endure or to, to press against. It says after you have suffered or resisted a while. It says just a while. See, that's that little step. It says he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So in other words, God's saying... Uh, Resist the devil, stand against him just for a little while, and if you'll do it just long enough to exercise your free will, I'm going to come up behind you like those people who pushed on my car and got me out of the muddy, and I'm going to push, and I'm going to strengthen you, and I'm going to settle you, and I'm going to establish you. And you see that that's where the grace comes in. So God needs that little step from us. He needs us to be in resist mode, but it's not on our shoulders. 
We cast the care of things that we can't handle onto God. And then we say, God, I'm going to fight the fight of faith. I'm going to believe. And I'm going to stand against the work of the enemy in my life, however it tries to manifest. And then when we do that, God is faithful. And he comes up behind us and he helps us. He strengthens us. And he gets us out of the mud. He gets us out of whatever the situation is. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's it's something in your mind or something emotional. I don't know. You don't have to tell me. Uh, he knows. Um, and maybe you're not dealing with anything. Maybe you're perfect. But I know I deal with stuff. But uh, the point is, is that it's His grace that gets us out of the mud. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I hope that ministered to you. This has been the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. You know what I always say. I'll talk to you the next time you click play. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you. He loves everyone else. And please don't forget to feed the ducks.